Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk, and thank you for joining me as we continue to look at the Syriac Infancy Gospel. Today, we're going to be taking a look at some of the tactics of Satan and what we can glean from this particular Gnostic text. And I personally, in dealing with this subject matter, will be going back to the King James Version of the Bible to prove that at least parts of this uncanonized narrative do align with our authorized Bible. So, continuing on in the unlucky chapter number 13, verse 1, we read, There was also a girl who was afflicted by Satan. So, while we begin this study, understand that Mary, Joseph, and the infantile Yahshua are back in the city of Bethlehem, having returned from their plight into Egypt. Thus, at this particular time in Yahshua's ministry, we could say that he was a mere three years old. Most likely not exceeding that age. But notice that Satan, of course, being an archangel of Yahweh God, is much older than Yahshua. And there, in Bethlehem, was a girl, a female. And the text says she was afflicted by Satan. Now, perhaps more than any other Christian identity pastor, I myself get attacked the most for preaching on the reality of the cherubim, the seraphim, and archangelos like this, Satan. My detractor want to come in and say, well, there's no such thing as the devil. Thus, in their idiotic mind, somehow or another, if I preach on the reality of Satan, I, somehow or another, am a devil worshiper. <laughs> At least to these idiots. Understand that a particular woman, or a man, for that matter, can be afflicted by Satan. And we don't really need books like First Infancy to prove that point, do we? There was a girl in the town of Bethlehem who was afflicted by Satan. Verse 2. For that cursed spirit did frequently appear to her in the shape of a dragon, and was inclined to swallow her up, and had so sucked out all of her blood, that she looked like a dead carcass. <laughs> now understand, at least here in Atlanta, a majority of the people that I come across in any given day of the week are what we consider to be the walking dead, thus a walking carcass. A dead carcass, if you will. 
The text here says that Satan was a cursed spirit. We must remember that as well. That Satan has the ability to possess particular individuals and afflict them. And most likely, these are the same exact men and women who come in and want to deny the reality of Satan. Because it is Satan himself that has convinced them he does not exist. Notice also that Satan, in spirit form, appears to her. Very important. Because this text does not say that Satan appears to the entire world as a dragon. But yet, in verse 2, that cursed spirit did frequently appear to her, that girl who once was possessed, and appeared in the shape of a dragon. So turn with me today, if you will, to Revelation chapter 12. And we read, beginning in verse 7, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. Some manuscripts render this as, neither was a place found for them any more in heaven. But what we've already covered proves that Satan is also considered by canon to be a great dragon. And verse 9 here in Revelation 12 proves that. The great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So notice already that another name for Satan, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9, is a dragon. Thus, our authorized Bibles teach that Satan, the devil, and the serpent, and this terminology of dragon, are one and the same deity. And this same deity would torment this girl, because she was afflicted by Satan. A polite way of saying, possessed. Verse 3. As often as she came to herself, with her hands ringed about her head, she would cry out and say, Woe, woe is me that there is no one to be found who can deliver me from that impious dragon. Once again, we hear the terminology that another name for Satan is a great dragon. Other places considered to be a red dragon. And naturally, this ties all the way back to the very beginning when Cain was banished east of Eden and went into, quote-unquote, dragon land. A land that, to this day, known as Asia Minor, still bows and worships the red dragon. The red dragon. So understand that. And, if you have your Bible, please turn back to the book of Revelation. However, this time, chapter 20. Beginning in verse 1, we read, John says, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So what can we learn from Revelation chapter 20 verse 2? We can learn 
that the dragon that we're talking about here in infancy one is also considered that old serpent like we read about in Genesis chapters 3 and 4 and also the devil and Satan. Now this is important because I just took you to two places in the book of Revelation that both prove another name for Satan is the serpent, the devil, and the dragon. So, this here, if you will, is yet another confirmation of that fact. As often as Satan, in spirit form, came to her, also appearing as a dragon, she would wring her hands about her head, she would cry out, she would say, Woe, woe is me, no one can deliver me from this impious serpent, also known as Satan, or a dragon. Verse 4. Her father and mother and all who were about her and saw her mourned and wept over her. And all who were present would especially be under sorrow and in tears when they heard her bewailing and saying, My brethren and friends, is there no one who can deliver me from this murderer? Notice that the Israelite kinsfolk were compassionate to this young girl because she was possessed of a dragon. And two times now in Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 20, I have proven to you that another name of Satan is a dragon. But were you aware that another name for Satan is also a murderer? Turn with me, if you will, to the gospel according to St. John. And in John chapter 8, Verse 44, Yahshua tells the Jews, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. So if you pay close attention here in the Gospel according to John, Yahshua is going to tell you some of the lusts of the Jews' father being Satan, or the devil, or the dragon, or the serpent. He tells the Jewish Pharisees, the lust of your father you will do. Pay close attention. He was a murderer from the beginning. Who? Their father, the devil, also known as a dragon. Yahshua says, he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, did you notice Yahshua said, Satan was the world's first murderer. Here in John chapter 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, right? But yet here, back in infancy chapter 13, all those who were present would be under sorrow and tears because they were compassionate for this woman who was possessed of Satan and would say, my brethren and friends, is there no one who can deliver me from this murderer? Two points. The second name of the devil. First being dragon, second being murderer. And both of those, according to what we consider authorized and or canon, are applicable names of Satan. So, as we continue here in Infancy 1, Chapter 13, remember that we're not far removed from what is accepted. Verse 6. Then the prince's daughter, who had been cured of her leprosy, 
hearing the complaint of that girl, went upon the top of her castle, and saw her with her hands twisted about her head, pouring out a flood of tears, and all the people that were about her in sorrow. So who is this prince's daughter? Well, we covered this in this segment before this one. That is part nine. And this prince's daughter was affected with leprosy, remember? In fact, the chapter before this ends on that note by saying, The prince, hearing that his wife was cured of leprosy from the Virgin Mary, took her home and made a second marriage, giving thanks unto God for the recovery of his wife's help. Now, this is a different account. Notice, first we deal with a child who is maimed, that being Bartholomew. Then we deal with a prince's daughter who suffers from a physical malady, that of leprosy. And just like in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we leapfrog to demonic possession because they are entirely different maladies. False prophets will come in and tell you there is no such thing as demonic possession. And my advice to you is leave them alone, as the blind leaders of the blind they are, because most likely they are possessed to not be able to understand that Satan is the dragon, the serpent of all of Scripture. Did we not already prove that from Revelation? Indeed we did. So the prince's daughter, who had been cured of her leprosy in the segment before this one, she heard the complaint of that girl because, after all, they are all within the city of Bethlehem. This is after their plight in Egypt, and they are established, Mary, Joseph, and Yahshua. So, she heard the girl's supplication, and all the people that were about her in sorrow, those that were professional wailers, if you will, the woman's entourage. Next verse. Then she, that once former leper, the prince's daughter, asked the husband of the possessed person whether his wife's mother was alive. He told her that her father and mother were both alive. So, very simple story here so far. First, it was Bartholomew's mother who had her son spared. She goes to a leper, being the prince's daughter, and directs that prince's daughter to Mary. That prince's daughter becomes healed. And that prince's daughter stumbles upon this demonically possessed woman. So what we're seeing here is that the kingdom of heaven truly is attributed to leaven. That this must grow the faith. Beware of those who want to stifle faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing. And the number one modus operandi of the devil is to come in and tell you not to listen to another particular individual. Therefore, he can quench your spirit. Thus, it is this woman. And she asked the husband of the girl that was possessed of Satan whether her mother was alive. And the husband says that both her father and her mother were alive. Verse 8. Then she ordered her mother to be sent to her. To whom? When she saw her coming, she said, Is this possessed girl thy daughter? She moaning and bewailing said, Yes, madam, I bore her. So this truly was the mother of the girl that was possessed. And because this was a prince's daughter who married another prince, 
this princess had the authority to beckon the mother of this girl who was possessed of a demon. Why? Well, there's a reason for that. But she orders, notice she decrees that the mother of the girl who was possessed be sent to her and the prince. And when she saw her coming, she asks her a simple question. Is this possessed girl your daughter? And the woman confirms that fact by saying, yes, she is. I bore her. I delivered her. What can we deduct from this? <laughs> a mother is she who comes in and bears a child. Do you understand that concept? When a stripper or a whore or a prostitute comes in and claims to be a mother, that should be offensive to a woman who does it Yahweh's way. But perhaps more on that in the future. This woman physically bore this girl. And now this girl was possessed of a demon. And she stands before the princess. Next verse. The prince's daughter answered, Disclose the secret of her case to me. For I confess to you that I was leprous. But the Lady Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, healed me. So, the prince's daughter straightforwardly answers and says, Tell me, if you will, the secret of her case. What is the secret? How did this girl become possessed? And perhaps I could interject here. Maybe she's not possessed at all, right? Like the single seed liner says, maybe this is just a mere sickness. Perhaps this is pneumonia. That's why she asks, disclose to me the secret. I want to know what happens. And verse 10 proves that the woman tells her how to go about being freed from this evil spirit. It says, If you desire your daughter to be restored to her former state, take her to Bethlehem and inquire for Mary, the mother of Jesus. And doubt not, but your daughter will be cured. For I do not question, but you will come home with great joy at your daughter's recovery. Notice she gives her the condition. She says, do not doubt. She says, deeper into the city of Bethlehem, because after all, most of this narrative takes place on the outskirts of the city. The princess tells her, seek out Mary, whom healed me of my own leprosy. And of course, we dealt with that in a segment before this one. But she also says, doubt not that your daughter will be cured. Thus, what I have been teaching all along. It is not so much the swaddling clothes of Yahshua. It is not so much the water that Yahshua bathed within. But just as Jesus the Christ taught, our faith makes us whole. Therefore, the mother of this demonically possessed girl was told, Do not doubt, your daughter will be cured. And I also, the princess says, will have great joy, knowing that you are relieved by your daughter's recovery. Next verse. As soon as ever she had done speaking, she arose and went with her daughter to the place appointed, and to Mary, and told her the case of her daughter. Who? Mary. The mother of the daughter who was possessed followed the woman who was once a leper's advice, goes to Bethlehem, finds Mary, that is, the eternal virgin, and she tells the case of her daughter. What happens? Verse 12. When St. Mary had heard her story, she gave her a little of the water, with which she had washed the body of her son Jesus, and bade her pour it upon 
the body of her daughter. Notice the similarities between what we've covered before and what we're covering here. Same exact water. The same exact infant washed within that water by the Virgin Maryam. But yet that water not only possessed the ability to make Bartholomew, Nathaniel, the apostle, whole as a youth, but also this prince's daughter and this demonically possessed child. What's the point here? Yahshua's grace is extended to all classes. Those that suffer spiritually, those that suffer physically, and those that suffer from demonic possession. So what does she do? Verse 13, Mary gives further instructions. Likewise, she gave her one of the swaddling clothes of the Lord Jesus and said, Take this swaddling cloth and show it to thine enemy as often as thou seest him. And she sent them away in peace. What is a swaddling cloth? Well, for lack of a better term, a swaddling cloth in today's terms would be the equivalent of a diaper. However, today's disposable diapers simply latch at the side and are thrown into the garbage. The diapers or swaddling cloths of Yahshua's time were naturally natural and reusable. They were cloth. They were swaddling cloths, meaning they were cloths set aside for swaddling children. And they would usually go over the shoulder of the infant that was wrapped within it. In this very series, it was the Virgin Mary who sent the three wise men back to Syria, back to an Arabic country, with one of the swaddling cloths of Yeshua, a diaper. And naturally, those superstitious people lifted it up, elevated it, and believed that it possessed power. Did it? Well, I'm not going to dispute that. Because if the swaddling cloth and the bath water and just the speaking of the Virgin Mary or Yahshua is enough to heal, then we won't limit God by discrediting this story. But we can at least be honest scholars and understand that much of what we're dealing with is superstition. And in 2016, that's painfully self-apparent. In some of this, none of this is impossible with God. But most of what we're covering in Infancy 1 does not align with the narratives. The facts indeed align. Satan is considered to be a dragon. Satan is considered to be a murderer. But Satan does not appear as a literal dragon. Thus, this account says he appeared as a dragon to her. So, remember that. Fallen angels can appear in any form they desire. Don't limit even Satan, because Satan can appear as, well, hmm, the devil, Satan, old scratch, the serpent, and or a dragon. But a dragon usually denotes a kingdom dynasty, an earth age, if you will. Thus, he was the dragon before he became the serpent. That is, in the first earth age, before Satan's original catabole. And so, Mary sends the mother away in peace with some of the water that Yahshua had been bathed within and one of his swaddling clothes and instructed him, take this diaper and show it to your enemy as often as you see him. Anytime the dragon shows up to torment your daughter, rebuke him with this swaddling cloth. Next verse. After they had left that city and returned home, and 
the time was come in which Satan was wont to seize her. In the same moment, this cursed spirit appeared to her in the shape of a huge dragon, and the girl seeing him was afraid. Was this a hallucination? Absolutely not. But it was a manifestation of the devil to one that he possessed. Meaning that those that are possessed of the devil clearly understand that he is real and oftentimes will be scared at that reality. This girl, according to verse 14, was sore afraid in seeing him because Satan appeared to her in the shape of a huge dragon. Verse 15. The mother said to her, Be not afraid, daughter. Let him alone till he come nearer to thee. Then show him the swaddling cloth, which the Lady Mary gave us, and we shall see the event. Satan then coming like a dreadful dragon, the body of the girl trembled for fear. The girl herself was frightened, because Satan physically, meaning de facto, was nearing her. Remember, she was possessed by the spirit of Satan. But yet that did not stop Satan from making himself manifest to her. So, usually, scripturally, like in the case of the maniac of Gadara, once a particular individual is possessed, the devil physically will torment that particular individual with his spirits, a legion of demons. And that, you will see, is the same exact thing that happens to her. Verse 17. But as soon as she put the swaddling cloth upon her head and about her eyes and showed it to him, who? Satan. Presently, there issued forth from the swaddling cloth flames and burning coals and fell upon the dragon. Does this seem far-fetched? Well, it does seem superstitious and it doesn't really align with any narrative in the scripture. But the fact that flames will usher forth and burning coals is not far removed from Obadiah 1.18, is it? The fact that Yahshua, in his second advent, his ultimate and final return, returns and all of the rudiments are destroyed by the brightness of his coming. So, once again, this isn't an impossibility with Yahshua. The fact that flames and burning coals can shoot forth from one of his diapers. That is, in an effort to protect a girl who is possessed from a de facto, literal Satan. Verse 18. Oh, how great a miracle was this, which was done. As soon as the dragon saw the swaddling cloth of the Lord Jesus, fire went forth and was scattered upon his head and eyes so that he cried out with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of Mary? Whither shall I flee from thee? Question. Satan asked Jesus, who at this point is about three years old, a specific question. The same exact question that a legion of demons asked in the fifth chapter of Mark. Oh, how great a miracle was this which was done. As soon as the dragon, who we already know is also Satan, and the serpent saw the swaddling cloth of the Lord Jesus, fire went forth and was scattered on his head and his eyes, so that he cried out with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? What have I to do with thee? That's the question. 
thou, Jesus Christ, son of Mary. And not only that, ask Yahshua, because he is bound under him. Where shall I go? Where can I go? There is no place for me to go at the brightness of Yahshua's return. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Thus Satan asks this, and turn with me, if you will, to the gospel according to the youthful Mark. And it is here in Mark's gospel that we deal with Yahshua's cross into the country of the Gadarenes. And here he met a man who also, similar to this girl in infancy 1 chapter 13, was possessed of a devil. Beginning in Mark's gospel chapter 5, verse 1. They, that is Yahshua and his disciples, they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately... There met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Some manuscripts say a devil. Some say demons. But either way, we know that this is what? The spirit of Satan. The spirit of the dragon. Verse 3. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that when he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Do you see the similarities in the correlation to infancy 1, chapter 13? Nobody could help that woman also who was possessed of a devil, but unlike the maniac of Gadara, this did not take place in a heathen land. This took place in Bethlehem, right? Verse 5, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, Pay close attention. Verse 7 in Mark 5, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? What did Satan say in infancy 1? Verse 18, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of Mary? What does the legion within the maniac say? What have I to do with thee, Jesus, son of the most high God? An identical statement. Thus we can prove 
that while this girl and this maniac in the land of the Gadarenes were possessed of Satan, it wasn't just one spirit. It was a legion of demons. A legion of spirits. Notice, when the maniac sees Yahshua, he runs up and he worships him, acknowledges him as the Son of God. And he says, what do I have to do with thee? Verse 8. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he, that is the once former maniac of Gadara, answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Them away out of the country. Plural, not singular. Do you notice also right here exactly what's being said is the same exact thing in infancy chapter 13. Satan asked, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of Mary? Whither shall I flee from thee? Legion here besought Yahshua that he would not send them out of the country. And of course, you know this narrative. Because Yahshua casts all the demons, this entire legion and or band of demons, into a herd of swine. And those swine ran violently down a hill and choked within the sea. <laughs> and this, of course, caused the residents of the Gadarenes to come out and ask Yahshua to depart from their coasts. So, very similar. Back in infancy 13, verse 19. So, he drew back much affrighted and left the girl, who, Satan, after this transpired. And she was delivered from this trouble and sang praises and thanks to God and with her all who were present at the working of the miracle. So, there's a difference between Mark 5 and infancy 13, right? Because the residents in the land of the Gadarenes asked Yahshua to depart, but that was not the land of Judea. That was a heathen nation, for lack of a better term. But this took place in Judea, in Bethlehem. The same exact thing. A legion of demons being dealt with and burn up by the swaddling clothes of Yahshua. Thus, all of them, including the girl who was set back within her right mind, and her entourage of those that wailed and mourned with her, all sang praises and thanks to God, and all were present at the working of this miracle. They were all there. Now, it's up to you to believe this account or to discredit it and walk away and say, well, it's not canonized. That choice, of course, is yours. But so far in one chapter, I pointed out a minimum of four similarities to the authorized Bible. Now, that doesn't discredit the fact that a false prophet scribe can come in and take those little bits and forge this document. But I want you to understand that for the most part, everything we've covered here in dealing with Satan aligns with our authorized Bible's teachings on demons on Satan, and also, here in a moment, Judas Iscariot. Notice we went from physical maladies to demon possession, and now the narrative is about to go into Judas. Suddenly, Satan enters the picture, does he not? Satan is mentioned here as a tormentor of a girl who was possessed. But yet, in chapter 14, we're going to deal with Judas. And we're going to look at how he was as a troubled youth. 
Because Judas, according to this text, was a problem child. Problem child. Because he suffered from what our scripture says. The spirit of Satan within him. So let's take a look at that. Chapter 14 in first infancy. Verse 1 we read. Another woman likewise lived there whose son was possessed by Satan. This boy, named Judas, as often as Satan seized him, was inclined to bite all that were present. And if he found no one near him, he would bite his own hands or other parts. What can we deduct from this? Well, number one, Judas was demonically possessed long before Yahshua put the sop to his mouth and told him, What thou must doest, doest now quickly. Not only that, but secondly, Judas would have been considered by the present world order to be a problem child because these behaviors as biting those round about him, according to this text, are attributed to demonic possession, right? Verse 1, another woman likewise lived there and her son was possessed by Satan. Notice it does not say Bethlehem. In fact, so much so... That in the chapter before, the prince's daughter says, go to Bethlehem. Because this was on the outskirts of that city. Where is Iscariot located, dear kinsfolk? But on the southern end of Judea. Therefore, another woman likewise lived there. Where? In the land of Judea. Albeit on the southern part of Kirioth. And her son was possessed by Satan. That same son, of course, was... Judas Iscariot. And you know who Judas is, do you not? But this text is telling you that Judas was possessed long before the fact this was not a new thing. And if Judas were in the public school system today, here in America and Europe, he would have been put on drugs and Ritalin because the natural man does not believe in demonic possession. If a child bites another child, well, they're considered to be a behavioral problem. They have a behavioral disorder by the liberal. <laughs> so again, beware of those who come in and deny the spiritual realm. They oftentimes make everything worse. Verse 3. But the mother of this miserable boy, hearing of St. Mary and her son Jesus, arose presently, and taking her son in her arms, brought him to the Lady Mary, who, Judas Iscariot, was brought to the mother of the child that Judas would betray. Long before the fact, at least according to chapter 14. Notice, the mother of the miserable boy heard of St. Mary and her son Jesus. So far, unlike Yahshua, every time Mary makes somebody whole or aids them in a miracle, she doesn't tell them, don't go out and tell people. I bring that up, of course, because Yahshua did that to the maniac of Gadara in the land of the Gadarenes. Once he was set back within his right mind, Yahshua said, don't go and tell anybody. Because he didn't want the fame of his deeds spread abroad. But the mother of Judas Iscariot heard of St. Mary and all of the miracles that transpired when he was but a youth. Verse 4. In the meantime, James and Joses had taken away the infant the Lord Jesus, to play at a proper season with other children. And when they went forth, they sat down and the Lord Jesus with them. 
Now, this is not uncommon because James and Joses would have been considered the half-brothers of Yahshua. So, Yahshua, being but a youth, had siblings. And, of course, we know that from Scripture. But his siblings' names, according to this text, were James and Joses. And those two half-brothers took Yahshua out to play, to have a normal life, a proper season, with other children. This would have been important for Yahshua. Because we already have confirmed that he was making a name for himself. And the deeds of his miracles were reaching outward. So much so that Judas of Iscariot, from the land of Kiriot, southern Judea, his mom heard and came to the Virgin Mary. So it is James and Joses. When they come back, they sat down and Jesus was with them. Verse 5, Then Judas, who was possessed, came and sat down at the right hand of Jesus. Not the left hand, but the right and proper side. And this is why Judas is made whole, at least for a season. Judas, who was possessed, understand that, possessed by the spirit of Satan, just as the girl in the chapter before. Judas was possessed, he came and he sat down at the right hand of Yahshua, which naturally would mean that Joses and James were at his left. They were sitting at a table. Then, what happens? Next verse. When Satan was acting upon him as usual, he went about to bite the Lord Jesus. Who? Judas. Judas would have been considered by the modern era to have Tourette's syndrome, to be hyperactive, to be manic-depressive or schizophrenia. They would put a label on Judas. But there were no labels at the time that this was written. And Judas was possessed. And because he was possessed, he attempted to bite Yahshua. Jesus Christ, who at this time had done only good and had only done good throughout his entire life. Thus, the same Judas would betray him much later. But notice this. When Satan was acting upon Judas, meaning that Judas had Satan's spirit acting upon him throughout his entire life, according to infancy one. That this was not a new thing, the betrayal of Yahshua. So when Satan was acting upon Judas as usual, he tried to bite our Messiah. Next verse. And because he could not do it, he struck Jesus on the right side so that he cried out. Yahshua was a child. Judas couldn't bite him. He couldn't follow through with his plan because he was possessed of the devil. And so, because he couldn't do that, what does he do? Hmm. Well, the Jew strikes out in pain as they attack you. Hmm. Perhaps that's a study for another day, but notice. Because he could not do it, he struck Jesus on the right side. And Yeshua cried out, naturally, because he'd been socked. Verse 8. And in the same moment, Satan went out of the boy and ran away like a mad dog. A mad dog. That's the terminology used here. Yahshua said it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, did he not? Thus we can already see Satan is a proverbial dog. Now, more on that later, but understand that just Judas, even though he was socking the side of Yahshua, that laying on of hands was enough to cast Satan out of Judas for a season. Remember, our Bible says that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it wanders to and fro upon the face of the earth, looking for another vessel to go back within. My point is, is that only Yahshua can destroy evil spirits. 
we as flesh men and women, his sons and daughters, can only bind evil spirits or rebuke evil spirits or cast evil spirits out. But do not deceive yourself into thinking you can destroy an evil spirit. That is an impossibility. That same moment, Satan went out of Judas Iscariot and ran away like a mad dog. This same boy who struck Jesus, verse 9 says, and out of whom Satan went in the form of a dog was Judas Iscariot who betrayed Yahshua to the Jews. What can we learn from verse 9? Well, several things, but it was Judas who betrayed Yahshua, point one. Judas betrayed Yahshua to the Jews. Number two, an important fact to remember. He was also possessed by Satan. Number three. And number four, Satan, when he was cast out of Judas Iscariot as a youth, went out of him in the form of a dog. Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 48. Beginning in verse 21, we read, Judgment is come upon the plain country upon Holon, and upon Jahazah, and upon Methahath, and upon Dibon, and upon Nebo, and upon beth Dib-Lathium, and upon Kirathium, and upon beth and upon Bethmeon. Verse 24, pay close attention, Jeremiah chapter 48. And upon Kiriath, and upon Bozrah, and upon all the cities of the land of Moab, far or near. Thus, Kiriath is a land in Moab. Skip down to verse 40. For thus saith Yahweh, Behold, he shall fly as an eagle, and shall spread his wings over Moab. Kiriath is taken, and the strongholds are surprised. And the mighty men's heart in Moab at that day shall be as the heart of a woman in her pangs. And Moab shall be destroyed from being a people, because he who, the Moabites, hath magnified himself against the Lord. Thus, we can deduct this. Judas was considered Iscariot, but that was not his last name. Iscariot means one who was a resident of Kiriath. Thus, Judas is differentiated from Jude or Judas, the half-brother of Yahshua, who we already dealt with in this text, considered Joses. There is always a differentiation between Judas the Greater and Judas the Lesser. Judas' name means one from Kiriath, or Judas' man of Kiriath. So I just proved to you from two places in canonized scripture that Judas was a man of Kiriath and Kiriath was a city in the land of Moab. That same land of Moab that Obadiah chapter 1 verse 18 clearly says shall be destroyed. The house of Esau, Edom shall be as stubble. So considering that Kiriath was on the southern end of the land of Judea, this account that we just read in chapter 14 of the Syriac Infancy Gospel could be legit. And whether it is or is not, we must understand, point one, Judas was not from amongst the Israelites. This is why Yahshua would say, have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? 
meaning a child of the devil, a child of Esau, Edom. Number two, whether you do not believe this account or not, Judas was subject to manipulation by unclean spirits, meaning he as a vessel being devoid of the Holy Spirit was more subject to demonic possession. And we know that much later because it is Judas who goes out and betrays Yahshua Messiah for the mere price of a slave. To who? His own people, the Jews. Notice we are told in verse 9 of chapter 14, here in the Arabic infancy gospel, the same boy who struck Jesus and out of whom Satan went in the form of a dog was Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him to the Jews. So, Yeshua was betrayed to the Jews by a Jew, an Edomite, known as Judas Iscariot. But because he was a resident of the land of Judea, meaning a Judean, Yeshua's mother would help. But there is a consequence every time. Remember, Yeshua comes in from playing with his brothers. He sits down. Judas sits at his right hand, a place reserved for the saints. But Judas, being possessed of a devil, tried to bite Yahshua. <laughs> he spoke in class today, dear spoke just like Jeremy. And then, when he was unable to do so, what does he do? He punches Jesus Christ in the side. Now, read with me the final verse of this particular study and the final verse in chapter 14 of Infancy, book 1. That is, verse 10. And that same side... On which Judas struck him, the Jews pierced with a spear. That is what this account ends on. That is why Judas punched him. And that same exact spot where Judas Iscariot punched Yahshua because he was unable to bite him was exactly where the Jews pierced him with a spear. Not the Romans. Not even Pilate or Herod's band of Herodians. This Gnostic book straightforwardly lays the guilt of the death of Yahshua at the hands of the Jews. Two times here in verse 9, verse 10. This Judas Iscariot was the same who betrayed Yahshua to the Jews, verse 9. And that same side on the which Judas struck him, the Jews much later would pierce Yahshua with a spear. And what comes out of there, by the way, when he was pierced? Our Bible says blood and water issued forth. Therefore, understand the symbology and the importance of water. Water it was that cured the leper. Water it was that cured Bartholomew from his malady. And water it was that cured the girl in the town of Bethlehem who was possessed of a devil. But notice at the beginning of chapter 13, the narrative switches into the supernatural. All of a sudden, we're dealing with Satan coming down and possessing a particular woman. The account is given. That girl is made whole through happenstance and through luck and through the leaven which the kingdom is attributed to. That is, the ministry of Yahshua growing and particular men and women going out and testifying what happened. Now, let me interject that the maniac of Gadara was given a gag order by Yahshua. He told him, do not go into the land of the Gadarenes and tell everybody else what I had done. Why? Because much later in the book of Acts, and even in the gospel narratives, that once former maniac of Gadara 
had already testified. So the fame of Yahshua would spread abroad. What am I saying with this? Yahshua would do a miracle in his adult ministry. And people would go out and talk of that. And then people would hear. Thus the kingdom was attributed to Levin because Yahshua's fame grew as he went. But according to what we've already covered, that fame began as he was but a youth. And not only that, Nathaniel, the apostle, and also Satan and Judas had dealings with Yahshua from the time he was born. And this, my friend, is where our Bible is usually oftentimes suspiciously silent when dealing with the birth and the youth of Yahshua. Now we know, for the most part, the adult ministry of Yahshua. And the best we can hope for in dealing with these non-canonized apocryphal books is to read them and consider whether they align with the whole of the authorized Bible. Frankly, so far, in what we've covered in Part 9, and also today in Part 10, none of this contradicts what we have learned from Scripture. Now, the same can't be said for the eight segments before, because it varies. And I already explained partially why that is. Infancy 1, as a book, is comprised of three separate books that are merged together and added to and expanded upon. Thus, if the original book is superstition, that carries over into Infancy 1. And if it is not, like what we're dealing with here, which is more akin to Infancy 2, which is attributed to Doubting Thomas, well, that should be self-evident. Does it align with Scripture or does it not? I believe personally that in this series on the Arabic Infancy Gospel, we have swayed back on the side of truth. So this entire series cannot be hearkened unto. This entire book cannot be hearkened unto. But we can read it to get an idea of the worldview of the people of Yahshua's time. Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Mary, Joseph, the prince, the prince's wife, etc. So please, dear kinsfolk, don't lose sight of that. Judas was the betrayer, but Judas was a betrayer because he was a devil. They were the forbidden people. So I truly hope that today's study into the Syriac Infancy Gospel helps you to understand more on this concept and topic of demonic possession and also provided you with a deeper background into who Judas the betrayer was. Now, according to this text, he was possessed of the devil as a youth. And statistically speaking, if he was able to be possessed of a devil because he was devoid of the Holy Spirit as an adult, then it is not far removed that he was possessed of a devil as a youth. And thank Yahweh, Judas did not go to public school during the time that this was transpired because they would have put him on Haldol, Ritalin, dope, to some degree or another. Which, of course, would have made Judas worse. My point with this is the man who comes in and denies Satan as what he is, the dragon, the serpent, the spirit of old, is usually the same exact liberal who comes in and denies demonic possession when that possessed person will even say, I am possessed. Remember Richard Ramirez? In trial, he held up his hand and there was a pentagram scraped within it. And he testified under oath that he was possessed of the devil. But yet it was counsel. It was the liberal left 
court system who came in and said, oh, not so, Richard Ramirez. You killed all those people. But there's no such thing as demonic possession. No different than the single seed liner who wants to come in and tell you your flesh is Satan, that you are born of the devil. That is not the case. We proved that tonight with Judas. He was born of the devil. Cain was born of that wicked one. But you and I, dear kinsfolk, are the literal sons and daughters of Yahweh God. Therefore, look forward to and hasten the coming day of Yahshua. Why? Because Obadiah, chapter 1, verse 18, Judas included, every resident of Esau Edom shall be destroyed. What a great act that will be. Until next time, dear friends, this is Pastor Visser, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.